Well, I know that many of you know uh, Pastor Carol and Becky, and I probably know them quite well. <clears throat> if you are new or visiting uh, there, uh, Carol's on staff here. Uh, and I don't know if this is really a true story. Um, could be apocryphal. But uh, when, when Carol and Becky were dating, uh, anybody, did you tell these stories? But, <clears throat> well, uh, let me share with you. It's just around the time they were getting serious. They, 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 Becky's family hadn't really gotten to know Carol real well, so um, they were in that process where Carol was invited over to their home and, and getting to know the parents. And just before dinner was being served, Becky's mom says to her father, you know, why don't you take Carol out, you know, get to know him, you know, find out what you can about him. So he did. He brought him to his study, sat down, and he asked Carol just some of those basic questions you want to ask someone who's going to possibly marry your daughter. And he said, so what do you plan to do? And Carol said, well, I'm planning on studying the Bible and going into the ministry. He said, well, that's admirable. Um, uh, How do you uh, plan to provide for uh, my daughter? And he said, well, I, I'm, I'm planning on um, getting to know God's word, and I'm, I, I just believe that God will provide. And he said, well, what about you know, like providing a home as she's kind of enjoyed here and the amenities that come with it? And he said, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm planning that as I concentrate on, on God's word and go into ministry, God will provide. And he pressed a little further, and he said, you know, what about like the basic necessities of food and clothing and things such as that? And well, Carol, you know, he's kind of laid back and very kind and warm. And he said, well, sir, don't worry. And he kind of looked at me and he says, I'm confident and expect God to provide. Well, a little later, Becky's mom takes, you know, curious to find out what happened. Says, so what did you find out? What did you learn? And uh, her father said, I discovered that he has no job, no plans, no idea of how he's going to provide for our daughter. But here's the good news. He thinks I'm God. <laughs> that could be true. It may be just one of those floating stories that, you know, gets out there in rumor world. But, you know, in the free church, you hear these things from time to time and you'll have to ask them, I guess. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we ask that our hearts would be open to hear from you, that God, we want your presence in our lives to fill us and to overflow us we god want to be seekers of your heart we want to seek and to show you so god do that give us your spirit speak through me i pray in christ's name amen now my daughters were in third and first grade and we had just bought a new computer and on this computer came all this new fancy programs and one of them was called encarta anybody ever have that uh, program <clears throat> and whenever we would pull up a certain part of that program we would hear this it transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice i have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character i have a dream today We'd hear that every time, and my girls know that one, that my four little children will someday not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream, he would say. I have a dream. Well, I I was thinking about this because I've titled these last two, last week and this week, kind of my dream of what I love to see about Wyzetta, kind of letting you a little bit into my heart. And and my dream is, is simply that we would be a kingdom-driven church, which we talked about last week, with presence-filled people.
people. Presence-filled people. You might be wondering, what does that mean, presence-filled? I mean, capital P, the presence of God, that through us we would be, as it said in that hymn, or that, that, that choir number, seekers after God's heart, where we would seek and, and show, God would show up in our lives. And I wanted to share with you this morning what I believe are some of those characteristics of presence-filled people. What would it be like? What would we need to be if we're going to have the presence of God fill our lives in such a way that we become, become people that, that, ex, that evidence these fruits of peace and joy and love and, and all the fruits of spirits, kindness, patience, goodness, evidence the power of God at work within our lives to transform us, but even through our prayers into the lives of other people. How do we become those kind of people, a church that is filled, they are presence-filled, Corporately, and as you go home in your home where it should show up first, right? With your wife or your husband or your, your children or those extended family, which it shows up within your neighborhood and those that you live with, who you work with. Well, the, the three primary characteristics I want to talk about today are, are simply listen, learn, and love. And, and they're, they're basically a vertical Listening response, it's an internal, that part of learning, and then there's also this what I call horizontal, that, that is external in the sense of the love that begins to be evidenced. And a presence-filled people, first of all, listen. To be filled with God, you must know God. You must spend time with God. You must be with God. There is no shortcut. And it's more than just Sunday for an hour or so, or two hours. It is a life relationship where you are conversationally engaged with another person, the being who created this whole world, God, created you. And the best way to see that is to look at the life of Jesus. Whenever you want to see anything about God in heaven, anything you want to know about God, you then look at the life of Jesus. And if you look at the life of Jesus, you begin to see how he related to the Father as a son. And one of the first things you see, if you go through the the life of Jesus, you'll see that Jesus spent time with God. He hung out in his presence, so to speak. He wanted to hear from God. He wanted to be guided by the voice of God, the Spirit of God. One of the most important spiritual organs is not the one of sight. So often we think, God, if we could just see, if we could just see, God, if I could just see. You know, often people who come to Christ are the ones that need to see. But people who follow Christ are the ones that hear. Faith does what it comes by hearing. And that hearing comes by, by the Word of God. And I'm not just saying Scripture, but by God's Word active in a conversational way with you. And Jesus was committed to listen. If you look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35... You really almost need to begin before that because it begins in verse 21 where it says they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath had come, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. So he begins his morning like this. On a Sabbath day, he's teaching and he's teaching and then he goes home from there, says that he has lunch and before he has lunch, he finds out that Peter's mother-in-law is ill and he he heals her, he heals her and after that healing occurs... He gets a little rest, and because of the Sabbath, people couldn't walk until finally when sundown came, it says, and I love this, people came to the door, 
It actually says that evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Isn't that an amazing sight? Can you imagine the whole town of Plymouth at your door? They're standing out there and Jesus spends the entire night dealing with people, healing people, ministering to people. Listening, understanding and touching their lives. And then it says, and I love this, because you think if anybody has his act together, doesn't need to take time to be with his father, doesn't need really to take more time to listen and to be engaged in that way, you would think Jesus would be the one to do it. And what do you think Jesus would do the next day? He would probably want to sleep in because that's what all the disciples were doing. But if you read the word of God, it doesn't say that. It says very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He had set his alarm. No, I guess they don't have alarms. Anyway, it was dark. Jesus so wanted to be in the presence of his father. He so wanted to hear from his father. He so wanted to be guided and prompted by the soft touch of the spirit of God that he got up and spent time with his father because he knew the only way he could walk in a relationship where he could do the things that God had called him to do so the presence of God could reside in his life was that he knew he needed to be with him. He needed to spend time with him. He needed to get to the place where he could hear. So very early he's doing that in the morning. He leaves, he goes to a solitary place. He often talks about lonely places. He goes to this place where he prayed. And I don't think he had a laundry list of of necessary requests. He may have had a number of them, but I think more than anything, he got into conversation with his father. He he, he quieted his heart. He listened to what was going on. He began to let that uh, spirit of God sift in his heart, and he was in relationship with his father where he could hear the things the father wants. And then you get this interesting thing that happens. Verse 36, Simon and his companions... They had gotten up. They had breakfast. They're thinking, where's Jesus? They can't find him. So they go to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, because when they went out to go get him, I think the reason they got up was because people were knocking at the door and they were saying, we heard Jesus is here and we heard what he did last night and we really like to have Jesus do some more ministering. Peter and the group are looking for him. They can't find him anywhere. So they start looking for him. They finally find him in this place, lonely place where they're praying. And when they found him, he said, everyone is looking for you. And what would you expect Jesus to say? Because you know what Peter's thinking? He's thinking, I mean, this is a ministry at its best. Everyone's showing up. You know, the, the, the ministry's begun. He's thinking banners. He's thinking the, the new headquarters. We take an offering. We get this thing going. It's on a roll. We set it up here in Capernaum. His mind is racing and, and running. And Jesus looks at him. He says, guess what, Peter? We're going somewhere else. And they're going like... What? He, he makes a very simple statement to him. He says, let's go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. Because the presence of God so resided in his heart, he was able to know the purposes of God. He was able to know the plans of God. He was able to actually do, work out the power of God. You read through Luke, you'll see that many times the power of God is just kind of flowing through him. And why is it? It's because he knew his God, the character of God was being formed in him, so that in those occasions, even when you would expect him to be sleeping in, he doesn't. Because he's gotten to know God. He's listening. Jesus was so committed to that. I, I have to just kind of aside here... We have become people of God's book, and that's incredibly wonderful in the evangelical world. But I've got to tell you something. We know a lot about the Father. We know a lot about Jesus. But we need to learn about the Spirit. We need to learn how the Spirit worked through the life of Jesus and worked through the church. 
We have so often lived our life that if we just think with our mind, or many people who just are moved by their emotions, they think those are the two things, and so by your will you choose. But you know what? Jesus found something deeper than that that's in all of us, and that is the Spirit. We have a Spirit that relates to the Spirit, capital S, Spirit of God. And underneath all those good and wonderful things that make up the soul is the Spirit, that when we come to faith in Christ, if you ask Jesus in your heart, you ask for forgiveness, you, you, you call upon Him and you open your life to Him, if you've never done that, when you do that, this miracle takes place, your Spirit becomes alive and you're alive to the Spirit of God. But many people, once they become alive to the Spirit of God, don't realize that they have the Spirit within them that can connect to His Spirit, that can cause us sometimes to do things that our brain thinks is silly, and cause us sometimes to cause our emotions to not do things that we'd want to do, so that we become guided by him. Jesus lived that way. He was so committed to listen. Listen to what it says. Jesus spent time, he was so committed that the God's presence filled him. Look at, look at this pattern in, in Luke's gospel. Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6.12, one of those days Jesus went out into the hills to pray and spent the night praying to God. Luke 9.18, once when Jesus was praying in private. Luke 9:28 Jesus took Peter, James, John and James and with him and he went up onto the mountain to pray. Luke 11:1 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, his spirit connecting with the spirit of God so he could be guided by his mind and by his emotions and so that his will could make the choices that he needs to make. And one day when he finished, one of his disciples was starting to catch on. He's going He's going Jesus do you think you could teach us to pray like that? Do you think you could teach us what it means to seek after you so that you could show up in us, so that your character would begin to reside in us, so that the Father himself would have that kind of relationship in us? And I think Jesus is going, praise the Lord. I, it, it, Jewish people are pretty expressive, so he probably did that. You know, Praise the Lord. They're getting it. Because Jesus didn't come just to teach them some things that they could have in their head. He didn't come to just get them to conform their behavior in certain ways to religious activities. He came to form their spirit so that their spirit would become like God. And he came so that they would begin to learn what it means to listen to the Father, be guided and prompted by the Holy Spirit. When I left the church and I didn't know, I didn't know three and a half years ago, whether I would be back in the church ministry at all, honest. I, I knew that I was a new full-time Christian ministry. I just didn't know how, what it would look like. And when I left, I made seven resol- resolves. One of them was this. If ever I'm engaged in a community where I'm leading it, I want to be a part of a community that places a priority to listening on God and teaching others to develop this ear for God. And I'm committed to that because that's where the presence of God shows up. So in signing me up, you've signed up. (laughs) And we've signed up to be listeners. I'm kind of filled with emotion because I'm so convinced that if people begin to walk in a, in a right relationship with God and, and do that with others and begin to, to sense the prompting of the Spirit, we will see the works of God's Spirit that will cause awe to occur, not for our sake, but that they'll go, God is here. Not just here. He's here in you. 
As I said last week, wouldn't it be really cool if a place was known for more than the guy, the person in the pulpit, but by the people in the pews? And I almost stopped it because a lot of churches have theater seats, which, but I was thinking, literally, we have pews. You know, people in the pews? There's a second uh, characteristic that I think shows this presence-filled people, and it's what I call presence-filled people are, are people who learn. Um, disciple means a learner. One who's committed to, to be taught. One who is humble enough to say, I want to know, I want to understand, I want to be in relationship not only with God the Father, but I want to be in relationship with you so that I'm humble enough to learn. It doesn't mean I'm going to agree with everything you say, but I'm humble enough to try and learn and listen and understand so that I can grow and become more the person God wants me to be because I have to share with you, in signing me up last week, you signed up to this commitment as well. We are going to be committed to grow. We are going to be committed to see the character of Jesus Christ so formed in us that um, the whole purpose of this life, folks, is that we develop the character of God in all our being. And I'm committed to grow. I'm committed to develop the character of Christ. I'm committed to live in truth. In fact, I am more concerned about living in truth in my life and to witness what that truth is in my life than I am to forcing truth onto other people. In fact, it's really interesting when you read through the life of Christ again, you look at life of Christ, and, and you notice how Jesus taught. You know how Jesus taught? He didn't say, you should, you should do this. He often taught, and he said, here's the reality, here's the truth, you decide. Part of growing up is becoming adults and being responsible. So I'm going to paint for you a picture of what life is like before the Father, and now when I paint this picture, you have the choice to enter into it or not. Isn't that a wonderful way to live? Isn't that a wonderful way to engage the people around you? I mean, there's a time with, with children, and you may have to do this sometimes in the context of the church and the body and the family that you're responsible to. You need to say you should if you signed up on this program. But when it comes to those who aren't a part of it, who are out there, it's not our job to say you should do this, you should do that. It's our job to say here's the reality. You know what? We're adults. We need to make choices. And you need to make a choice so that Jesus would look at a whole bunch of haggard and, and, and hurried and worried people. And he'd look out at them and he'd say, guess what, folks? Here's what it's like. There's a bunch of birds in the tree. You see them? They don't spend an hour or a minute worrying about how they're going to be fed. You look at the flowers and see how nicely dressed they are. They don't even worry about being clothed because they have this wonderful understanding of the reality and the truth of God in this universe. And that is that he loves you and he cares for you and he will care for you as you walk with him. Now, you can choose to enter into this truth in faith or you can walk outside it. And the presence-filled people want to live in the truth. Jesus said, for this is I was born. For this reason I came into the world to witness. Not that I'm, He's not saying speaking as much in some sense as he's saying the witness of the truth in his life. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Presence-filled people take responsibility for growth. They want truth in their life more than anything else. Do you want that? I mean, seriously, don't you think about it. Do you, more than anything else, you want truth in your life. More than anything else is a church who want truth. Peter saying in the fifth discipline, the art and practice of organizational leadership writes this, that one of the core disciplines of any learning organization is a commitment to truth. We may begin with a disarmingly simple yet profound strategy for dealing with structural conflict. It's basically telling the truth. 
Committed to the truth often seems to people an inadequate strategy. People often want a formula, a technique, something tangible that they can apply to solve the problem of structural conflict. But in fact, being committed to the truth is far more powerful than any technique. And as a church, here's what I want us as a learning organization, one who are committed to be personal learners and corporate learners, is what he says here. It means a relentless willingness to root out the ways we limit or deceive ourselves from seeing what is and to continually challenge our theories of why things are the way they are. And I don't mean that just corporately. That's a commitment we need to take personally. That I will, God, that's my, it has been my prayer for years now. God, where there is things in my life where there's deception and I don't see, help me. Give me people. You know what's amazing? God gives you people. In fact, sometimes your enemies are the best truth-tellers. You know why? Because although they may mean to harm you, they usually couch it with a bit of truth. And I'm not saying you let that stuff in, because usually when stuff is said like that, I usually hold it out here and I go, God, the next morning after I'm settled a little bit, help me see what's true. But we need to be committed, learners. Presence-filled people make this resolve. I will take responsibility to become mature. Not merely more information. I'm not talking about, you know, this confirmation, conformity, a religious activity. But I'm talking about the kind of truth that enters your life so that you become transformed in your inner being. And a presence-filled church, one filled with the Spirit of God, His holy, manifest presence, is an obedient church that is humble and listens. People are committed to take responsibility for their spiritual growth. People who are committed to take responsibility for their spiritual growth. People who are not going to come in and say, well, you know, if you have a good worship service or the pastor really connects with me today, or somehow I go to an ABF and I get the right word, or I go to some kind of uh, small group, or I'm in this place. and It's not about what someone else is going to do. It's about you saying, I'm going to get truth into me. And you know what? I can promise you this. God will get it into you because he wants it too. It's people who say, I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to grow. Um, when my daughters were young, like six months of age, you know, when they start eating a little, is that about right, moms? About six, well, anyway, somewhere around there. I used to, you know, you have to get them to eat their vegetables and things like that. In the, and I'm talking about even the little ground up stuff that you get in a little Gerber's jar. And you take a little spoon and, and you know, drinking milk was not a problem. That was just a simple thing. All they had to do was, was suck, and, and they got it. But now they have to take some responsibility because now they have to actually sometimes um, get it in their mouth and they actually chew and, and, and that. So I would go, like, you know, I was pretty creative. Like this, you know, and, they, and they'd take it. And as they grow, then I would take their meat, and I would sometimes when they were younger, I'd cut things up for them. Any, anybody ever did that for kids? <laughs> My daughters are 22 and 20. And can you imagine them coming home from you know, their career or the one who's in college and them sitting down and I have to go, mm-hmm. something's wrong. If I have to go over and say, well, let me cut the meat here for you, honey. We as a church have done that way too long. We have expected others and to kind of. Cut the meat up and, and, and not take responsibility and say, God, I don't care. If I walk out of here and I don't really even get a lot, it's my responsibility to grow. I want truth in me. I'm committed to learn. And then the last thing. Oh, I made a resolve on this one as well. 
We will be committed. I wrote this when I left the ministry a few years ago. I want to be committed in a community committed to Christ-like character, spiritual maturity that evidences love, joy, peace, and humility. And a people committed first and foremost to the mission of becoming these kind of people, loving people. And not merely just out to save people. I'm not saying that we don't. I'm just saying first it happens here as we do that work. And then a third of presence-filled people are people filled with love. I think we so often make evangelism far more difficult than it needs to be. It's really one of the most simple things in the world. Listen to Acts 10, 37 and 38. This is Peter telling someone else about the life of Jesus. He says, you know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached? Listen, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. And I'll come back to this at another point, this whole idea of anointing of the Holy Spirit and power. There's something very, very important to listen to that. But here's what I want you to catch. And how he went around doing good. Isn't that kind of cool? He just asked people to get peaches together. I mean, it's really a simple thing when you think about it. He just said he went around doing good. And in that process, he also was healing and and, and he used the power of God to overcome the devil. But one of the greatest ways to overcome the work of God and the work of, of Satan in anyone's life is honestly to be someone who just does good. That's the simplest way to share your faith is to do good. To live with this sense of peace and this presence of God, this hope, so that they begin to look at your life and they go, wow, what is it that's making you like this? He went around doing good. In fact, the early church was so into this that Paul wrote to one of his early pastors, his name's Titus, the whole book. And I'm considering doing this as a series in January. In Titus 1.8, he begins and he says to them, rather... The person who wants to be a leader and, and wants to serve is got to be one who loves what is good. Chapter 2, verse 6. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. 2.14. Jesus Christ gave himself to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Look at this. This is what he did. Eager to do what is good. 3.1. Remind the people to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Good. Three eight. This is trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to what? Doing what is good. Three fourteen. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. And now you go through about three chapters, which is just a short little letter, and you want to go, I think the idea that Paul is trying to get across with regard to, he doesn't say one word about, about sharing your faith in evangelism, he's just getting one simple point across to people, and what is it? What is it? Oh, you guys are sharp. We can close in prayer right here. You get it. Paul said it again and again, do good for this purpose. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, in order, that, in order to make the teaching about God our Savior attractive, winsome. And I always think, what if we embarked on a campaign for a period of time as a church intentionally about doing good? I call it evangelism for dummies. It's just a simple, I in my personal life will begin to say, God, how can I go through this day and give me opportunities when there's good to do, I'll be eager to do it. 
When there's an opportunity to forgive, I'll be eager to do it. When there's an opportunity to step in and say, you know, you know, please, I think we're on gossip, boarding on gossip. And you step in and do it. You just do good. And then to think about this as a church, would it be really cool? So that all our ABFs, all our small groups, everything that we do, we have what we call Communities that have a cause, and that cause is to just do something good. So that every group is, com- is somehow keeping before their mind, this is why we're here. It's not only to feed each other and to grow and to care for one another, but we also are going to step outside ourselves and do what? And we're going to listen to God and, and in our, on our knees, whether it's corporately personal, and begin to say, God, what is it that you want us to do in this group that would be good? Because we want to what? Learn to become like Jesus. And I get excited about that. One of the resolves that I had was that it would be a community whose goal is to love God and practically love others. A commu- Listen, it's a community caught up more with living in our community and in relationship with those near us than in developing our church programs or in perpetuating our services or in growing a big or even great church. I just go, wouldn't that be cool? And let God take care of all that stuff. I have a dream. I have a dream today. And I've been kind of having this dream for some time. And I'm praying and I'm saying, God, I pray. And I think it is going to be the case. I really have this incredible sense of hope that I will awaken with you in the sense of that we will see a whole community of people who are presence-filled, driving after kingdom-driven goals so that God can do something that not one person could do in their own strength or one group could do in their own strength with the best of our abilities, but something that only God can do through his own ability. That's what I'm excited about. I think you... um, Signed up for that as well when you said, Jesus, I want you in my life. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to stand where I pray. Because I'm going to ask you to get into a posture of... um, There's different postures of listening. Uh, Prayer postures, whether you're on your knees or in different places, are all for purposes. But I'm going to ask you with with, uh, just standing, I'm going to ask you to do this. One of the postures of prayer is just to put your hands like this because you want to receive. Um, and if you feel comfortable, if you don't, if you're just here for the first time, you're going, oh, this is a little weird, you know, okay, that's fine. <laughs> you don't have to do this, this is, you know, if you want to. But I'm asking you just to bow your head, close your eyes with me for just a moment, and, 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 and just with your hands in a receptive way, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Right now, God, there are people who want to hear from you. There are some people who are saying, there's things going on in my life right now, God, I don't understand it, but I want to learn from you. It may not be something out there that I need to be so concerned about. Maybe it's something in my own character that you're trying to do right now, and I want truth more than anything. And some of you, as you kind of think about your life and your relationships, um, you may be at this place, you're saying, God, I just I want to be a, a person who does good. Spirit of God, I pray if you want to speak to anyone right now in the quietness of this moment to, and there's hearts are listening that they would hear. 
it may be a bizarre thing that God places and He puts in your heart and your mind, but you just pay attention to what God wants you to do. Father, we thank you. We open our spirits up to you that you might move through our will, using our minds to the best of our ability, and engaging our emotions so that we will become whole people like you were, Jesus. That we would be filled individually and corporately with your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name.